And uh, I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. It's no secret. We've talked about it before. Um, let me get the right notes up here. <laughs> All right. Thought I had that all ready to go. You know how it goes, right? Computers. We're going old school. It's no secret. We've talked about it before. The date, June 25th, 2020. That was the date that by no choice, no effort, no desire of my own, I was inducted into a very exclusive club. I was inducted into the club of the rare people who are struck by a red-tailed hawk during nesting season. Right out of here in our parking lot. Now, I won't go through the whole story again. Uh, I survived. The hawk survived. No hawks were hurt in the uh, presentation of this illustration. Uh, and it was interesting. What, what I found very interesting was when my wife began to share with our kids and hence our grandkids, uh, uh, about what had happened to dad, what had happened to grandpa, one of the grandkids had this question. Is there video that we can watch? And I felt so disappointed that I didn't have the wherewithal when a hawk as big as one of these pews here, at least that's what it looked like in my eyes, was coming at my face to not get my video, my camera out and to quickly hit the video and to videotape the whole thing. No, nope, there wasn't video. But that reminded me, that little question reminded me, we, we live in a visual age. We have at our fingertips instruction on so many things. We can watch a video on everything from changing the battery in your vehicle to smoking a brisket to assembling an Ikea bed frame to how to drywall and mud and tape a wall. You, you name it, you can find a video where someone's going to show you how to do that. And it seems like a, a picture or an example seems to be something for so many of us, it really helps. I know for me it does. I'm a visual learner. You know, I, I've had salespeople call me and start talking to me about all of the wonderful things that their product would do. And about... Two minutes into the conversation, I'm lost. And I'll say, you know, if you have a brochure, or if you have an email, or if you have something you can send me that I can see what you're talking about, we're going to get a lot further than you just going on and on because I'm, I'm a visual learner. We need models. We need examples. We live in this visual age. You know, it's interesting. I don't think... That has changed much over the centuries. Yes, the video stuff has changed. But I think we've always needed models. We've always needed something to, so that we can say, okay, show me an example. And, and if you go through Scripture, you'll find that, that the expression of faith starting in Genesis and going through Scripture is very visual. You know, the, the whole idea of sacrificing a lamb, you can't get more visual than that. 
As the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, Joshua had them go back into the river and get stones and bring them out and build this monument. And and he said, when your kids ask what this is, then you can tell them this is where God parted the waters of of the river Jericho so that you could cross over on dry land. And and from that, some of them have have talked about having stones of remembrance. If you come into our house, there's a little curio shelf. And I can point to each of the things on that shelf and tell you where I went on that trip, who, what I did, and, and it's just a reminder of those things. Well, now the big thing is my wife will take like 450 gazillion pictures, and then she'll call through them, and she'll put together photo albums. So each of our grandkids has a photo album for a couple of years in their lives. I think we're about up to 2019 right now. And every now and then she'll give them this little photo album that just focuses on them. We need those things. We need those reminders. Paul knew his audience in Rome was going to need a reminder. As you recall, the audience in Rome, were the churches in Rome, the house churches, were divided up between those that were of a Jewish background and those of a non-Jewish background. And for the most part, things worked pretty good. But there were these times, and we deal with it in Romans 14 and 15, that those people that weren't of a Jewish background said, I don't need the law. I don't understand the Jewish law. I don't understand the restrictions you grew up in. I just know I'm going to follow Jesus. And the people that were of the Jewish background said, you know, sometimes I need this. I, I need these special days. I need this. And, and, and some of them needed it so much, Paul said, your faith is not as strong as it should be. And there was this division because the strong would look down and actually look with contempt on the those that were Paul would call weak, and, and, and the, the, the ones who needed these days would judge the others because, you know what, you're too free. You're too much out on the edge. And there was a division. So Paul's been dealing with the division, and he begins to wrap it up here in, verse, in chapter 15, and he's going to wrap it up by eventually leading us to, where the, fact, to the fact that everyone is dependent on one another because we're all dependent on Christ. And so he's going to talk about other-centeredness, and he gives them a great word picture for others-centeredness. In chapter 15, verse 1, Paul begins, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Let me just stop right there. The first reaction we have, well, maybe not you, but me, when we read those verses is, wait a minute. He can't can't mean that literally. What about self-care? I'm I'm supposed to self-care. Everybody tells me that. Care for yourself. How do I do that if I'm not pleasing myself? How do I do this? Well, We can't stop there because Paul gives us a great illustration. He goes on. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything was written in the past that was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. 
so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I were to summarize what Paul's saying in those verses, it's simply this. Others-centeredness is modeled by Jesus. Others-centeredness is modeled by Jesus. And he's wrapping up these comments and he's going to expand the scope beyond just food and special days. He's going to identify, first he identifies himself as one of the strong in faith. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. So he's saying those of us who are strong have an ought. We have an obligation. If if you don't feel like you need all these special days, you still have an obligation to bear with those people. The, the, The idea to bear with means to help shoulder the burden. It means to build up. It's used in Galatians 6. If someone is caught in a sin, you who uh, are spiritual come alongside and bear with them. Bear one another's burdens. Hold them up. Uh, and, And so the faith community, we use our power, we use our strength as it were, we use our spiritual power to serve one another. Paul says, Bear with the failings of the weak. I'm not a big fan of that translation, failings. It makes it seem like those whose faith is still growing are failing. And I I don't think that's the point at all. In fact, if I were to take it and translate it literally, it would be, bear with the weaknesses of the weak. As I was trying to think about how do I explain this, I reached for this New Testament I have on my shelf It's called the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. It is a translation of the New Testament by Native American pastors and elders and scholars. And uh, I think their rendering of verse 1 is excellent. Listen to this. So we who are strong in our spiritual ways should be willing to lend a shoulder to the ones who are weak and unable to walk this road with firm steps. The idea, don't you like that? We are to lend a shoulder. It's the idea we're walking the path together. So I might not have the same issues that you have, but you know what? I don't walk along the path and go, come on, keep up. Keep up with the tour bus. Let's go. No, I stop. I slow down. I say, here, hold on here. Let's walk together. Lean on me. Let me show you how I've learned to live faith. Because you know what? There was a time in my life when someone said, Scott, lean on me. Let me show you how I live my life for Christ. The idea is we we bear one another's burdens. The idea of someone leaning on another as together they walk on the path. That's a great word picture. And Paul says, we, we do this for why? We please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's not about me building me up. It's about me building someone else up. And the idea of pleasing our neighbors to, bear, to build them up, that, that's an idea that, that we have to realize. It's not I become a people pleaser. It's not I just acquiesce to somebody and just go along to get along. That's not the point here. Uh, The whole concept of the word please has the idea of having a positive relationship with someone. It has the idea of striving for peace. It has the idea of accommodating myself to them to help them grow. 
We've all done it. Whether it was your own child or a niece or a nephew, you've all been there when they just start walking. Sometimes you sit on the floor as they're trying to just balance that little child and you kind of hold your hands out, you know, and you're holding them out and you're holding them there and they're, they're just kind of, they're, they're, they're there, but you're, 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 you're and, and they can stand and you go, whoa, yeah, and then all of a sudden they start to fall, you grab them again. You're bearing them up. And as they get going, you, you reach down, you grab two little, they grab your two little fingers, right? And you walk with them, and they're kind of walking those steps. You know, they haven't bent their knees yet, and they're just kind of walking, and you're, you're, you're helping them bear up. You're accommodating yourself to them. You who are strong, accommodate yourself. Help them bear up. I would dare say, and in fact, if I ever heard about it, I would come down pretty hard if you said, come on, kid, you can do this. Get up. We don't do that. We go, oh, come, come to, come to grandpa, come to dad, come to mom. Woo, and we celebrate. That's the point that Paul's making. That's the word picture. We who are strong, we help them bear up. We accommodate ourselves to them. Why? Why would I want to do this? Why should I care? Why should I care to do this? Well, I have an example. It's Jesus. He said, for even Christ did not please himself. Christ didn't put himself first. We just celebrated that at communion. Luke tells us Christ says, Jesus said he could have called 12 legions of angels. They would have come down and wiped out everybody and put him on the throne. But he chose not to do that. He didn't please himself. In fact, he, he pulls from the scriptures, the insults who, of those who insult you have fallen on me. He took our insults. He took the verbal abuse. He took the physical abuse. And Paul reminds all of his readers, now this is where he's bringing non-Jew and Jew together because the only scriptures they both had were the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul says, remember, all of these scriptures apply to all of you. And he says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The scriptures give us hope. We're, we're hopelessly divided. They're about special days. We're not. How do we get together? You come to the scriptures and let the scriptures pull you together. Because we serve a God. Paul says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, God gives us endurance. I can't make it. I just I can't go any further. You know, it's, it's funny sometimes, especially when their kids were younger, our kids would reach out to me and go, how did you guys do it when you were in seminary? How did you guys do it? I mean, you know, we, we entered seminary with great plans. We weren't going to have children for five years. That was our plan. When I graduated five years later, we had two children. In fact, the first one was born 11 months after we were married. We, met, we celebrated Mother's Day before we celebrated our first wedding anniversary. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, it was like, ah, oh, okay, how do we do this? And, and uh, we, we said, we don't know. <laughs> I don't have a formula. I, I can't sit down and go, we did A, B, and C. We literally got up every day, and we put one foot in front of the other, and we got through it. And now we look back and we go, oh, God gave us endurance. And whatever you're facing, know that you serve the God of endurance, and he will give you what you need for today. 
I love the hymn that says, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. May the God of, who gives endurance and encouragement. I got to believe, you know what? As I was moving along through seminary, there were people that encouraged along the way. We made a decision at one point. Some of my classmates would, would uh, gut it out. It was a three-year program. And that was a three-year program of graduate-level classes. And if you did it in three years, you typically were taking between 17 and 18 credit hours of grad school a semester. And if you don't understand what that's like, it's awful. In fact, the guys that really did it took Introduction to Hebrew and Second-Year Greek in the summer. I asked a friend of mine, I said, what's that like? He goes, do you like dog food? Because that's what it's like. It's like eating dog food. You're, you're doing nothing but, but just digging through stuff all day long, every week long, all summer. And we thought, you know, I don't know if that's for us. Charlene decided to stay home with the kids. I cut back on my hours. And one day I sat on a bus. I was teaching at the time. And I sat on a bus and a faculty member sat down and he asked me how things were going. And I told him what we had decided. He goes, you know, I wish I would have done it your way. That was encouragement. You made a wise decision, Scott, to slow down a little bit and to, to take a three-year program and to stuff it into five years. And you slowed down. And he said, I think you did a good, that made a that's encouragement. He, it may, it may God who gives you encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. What was that attitude of mind? Just take a minute and flip over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and Paul talks about all of these things we ought to, we ought to uh, be like. He says, we're not, we're, and I'm picking up in verse 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, you, but each of you to the interests of the others, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. How do I do this? How do I develop this other-centered personality, this other-centered mindset that is modeled by Jesus? I have the same mind of Jesus who says, you know what, I can make myself nothing if it helps someone else grow. I can make myself nothing if it helps someone else be built up. Jesus endured. We adjust ourselves to be like Jesus. He's our model. Our endurance and encouragement come from God. When we make ourselves available for someone to lean on, we glorify God. And when we admit that we need to lean on someone else, that we need some help as we walk the path, we glorify God. It is never wrong in life, it is never wrong in your faith to admit that you need help. No one was designed by God to live a loner lifestyle in the Christian faith. We need each other. That's why we call it a family. So what does it look like? Paul says, Verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Think about your own faith journey. How many hoops did Christ make you jump through 
to come into a place of faith. You think about Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. Everybody's gone. He goes, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, well, first, you need to learn these verses. Then I want to see you in church every single Sunday for the next 12 weeks. And once you're done with that, we're going to do a class. It's an intensive class, but you need to do that. And once you're done with that, then we're going to uh, understand and you're going to be able to explain clearly to everyone the Trinity. And then once you're done with that, then maybe you can make it in. No, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Accept one another as Christ accepted you. What's the old hymn say? Just as I am. Christ accepts you as you are. And then he does the transforming process in your life. Accept one another as Christ accepts you. The word accept means to welcome. It means to take hold of. It's like if you walked up the stairs to my house and I opened the door and I reached out and grabbed your hand and said, come on in here. That's the idea. It's to accept. It's to welcome. Christ accepted you and me unconditionally, and we are to be that way with one another. We've got to remember we don't live this life in a vacuum. What we do, how we live out our faith in this faith community has an impact in the broader community. And that brings us to the second thing Paul wants us to know, I believe. It's in verses 8 through 12. Others-centeredness is attractive to those outside the faith. Others-centeredness is attractive to those outside the faith. Christ was first a servant to the Jews. He was Jewish in birth. Mary and Joseph, Jewish. You go to Matthew, you go to Luke, you trace their lineage. Lineage, got it. They are God, the Jews were God's chosen people. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 is fulfilled throughout the Jewish nation. So it stands to reason that when the Word was made flesh, He was made flesh in a way that the Jewish people should have understood. The presence of Jesus validated the promises of the prophets. The, the presence of Jesus allowed the Jews to bring glory to God, but ultimately it allowed the non-Jews to bring glory to God as well. And so Paul makes this point by, again, drawing from the Scriptures, and he points to six Old Testament passages that show us that the other-centeredness of Jesus, the fact that He would come, the fact that He would die on the cross, the fact that He would die while we were still sinners, becomes attractive to all. You see, when Jesus was fully known the Gentiles, and they understood it, they saw these passages and they realized, oh, this is for us. In fact, in these passages here that we'll look at in a minute, uh, verse uh, 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, all talk about Gentiles, but if you look back in the Old Testament at the corresponding verses, it talks about the nations. And and so Paul is probably quoting from a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. But listen to what he writes here. When Jesus is fully known, he's attractive. He causes the nations to rejoice. First of all, verse 9 says, And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. That is 2 Samuel 
2250, also quoted in Psalm 1849. Songs of deliverance for David when he had been delivered from Saul, praising God and saying, my praise to God is not going to be limited to God's people. All the nations can praise God. Verse, uh, verse 10, again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And verse 11, and again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. Verse 10 comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Moses, or Paul is very strategic here. He's quoting from the law. He's going to quote from the Psalms. He's already done that. He'll do it again. And he's going to quote from the prophets. And what he's showing for his Jewish audience is, in a sense, all of your scriptures point to Christ, but all of your scriptures also to point to Christ being praised among the Gentiles. So you over here who say we need the special days and stuff, and these people aren't doing it right, remember, God accepted them just as they were. And for these people over here saying, we're strong, we don't need all that. Whoa, 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 wait. You only have what you have because God worked through these people and through this nation. You need to come together. Verse 10, Deuteronomy uh, 32, 43, uh, the Gentiles will rejoice with God's people. Verse 11 is from Psalm 117, and that's only a two-verse psalm, so let me read the whole thing for you. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Memorize those two verses, you've memorized an entire psalm. That's really good. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Jews, non-Jews, it's about all of you. So whatever your differences, learn to deal with them in the order to come together and praise God. Finally, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him let the Gentiles have hope. Christ is the hope of the Jews. Christ is the hope of the Gentiles. He's the one who springs up. Why is this all important? Why does this matter? Why does Paul pull from all of these passages? I think he makes a clear point. Jesus was not willing to please himself, but he gave himself for the sin of the whole world and therefore draws all the world to himself. When you and I, who claim to follow Jesus, who, who claim to be disciples, who try to be like Jesus was, when we live as an other-centered life, it is attractive. It's attractive to those outside the faith. See, as we are the people God wants us to be, others notice as I thought about, I thought about instructions from Paul to Titus in Titus chapter 2. And, and in Titus chapter 2, coming down to verses 9 and 10, he's addressing those who served the word as slaves and, and don't see this as somehow validating slavery from the 1860s. That was used, but that's not Paul's point. It wasn't even on his mind. But they lived in, in situations where they could actually work their way out of slavery. But Paul says, you know, you live in the homes of these masters, and some of the masters had become believers too. And he said, here's how you to live your life. He said, you're to show that you are fully to be trusted so that in every way you make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. 
What a great question for you and me. How am I making the teaching about Jesus attractive? How do I make the teaching of Jesus attractive when I have to confront somebody who I think did me wrong? How do I make the teaching of Jesus attractive when I work for a supervisor who's not always the best supervisor to work for? How do I make the teaching of Jesus attractive to my neighbor across the street or next door? How do I make the teaching of Jesus attractive to the people that I'm right here with on a Sunday morning? Where am I doing good? Where do I feel affirmed by God? Where do I need help? Where do I need to grow? Paul finishes this with just one verse, verse 13. And I think here's the point of verse 13. Others-centeredness is, a, is actively trusting God. Others-centeredness means I'm actively trusting God. Paul says, may the God of hope, we've seen that before, he gives endurance, he gives encouragement, now he's the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope in the Bible is not like I hope the Cubs win today. Hope in the Bible is not like I hope I get a whatever the newest Xbox is for Christmas. Hope in the Bible is a confidence. It's a certainty that's based on the person and work of God. He's the God of hope. He's the God in whom we can be certain. He's the God who fills us deeply. He's the God who satisfies us. He satiates us with joy. Joy is a deep inner satisfaction based on our relationship with Christ. And he not only fills us with joy, he fills us with peace. The, the reconciliation of relationship between us and God through Jesus Christ. Ultimately a peace that Jesus said, when it, in, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That peace that says, all right, there's a lot of stuff going out there, but I know I serve a God who's in control and I can have peace in my heart. That peace is ultimately the peace that gives us a faith that's so strong, but it, a faith that comes from trusting in Him. My mentor used to say this, faith is only as good as its object. If you've ever gotten into your vehicle on a cold winter morning and you've turned the key and your vehicle says, I don't want to go, oh, 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 oh. I don't want to go, oh, 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 oh. And it won't go, whoa, 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 whoa. And you've, all of a sudden, you've kinda, you're kind of edgy. And even after the new battery is in there and everything, the next time you turn it on, you're like, and it works. Your object failed you for a moment. God never fails. Faith is only as good as its object. As you trust God, as you trust Him, that other-centeredness is actively trusting God. I'm actively trusting God so that when I put others first, I trust God. He will take care of whatever need I have. When I put others first, God will meet my needs spiritually, emotionally, physically. When I fully trust God, I am so full of hope that, that all of a sudden, my confidence in God, not in me, I have no confidence in me. I mess up all the time. But my confidence is in God. My confidence in Him can actually overflow to someone else. 
as I depend on the Holy Spirit. We need word pictures, don't we? Can I tell you a word picture? See, my, my grandchildren didn't have a video. They were disappointed that there was no video. I couldn't go back and recreate the video. I don't know of any trained red-tailed hawks around here. But I do have a word picture. When I was early in youth ministry, there was a guy in our church named Jake. Some of you may have heard me talk about Jake before. I think Jake had been in sales and stuff prior to it. He was retired now by the time I came along. Jake and Wilma lived in a little, little town called Etna Green. They were just, they were kind-hearted people. Jake was known first. He was an usher at our church. And, and he was one of, wasn't one of those guys, I mean, basically, if he was in church on Sunday, he was an usher. That was his ministry. That was his role. That's what he did. And if you came walking into our church and Jake was there, you'd get a big smile, you'd get a warm handshake, he would, and, and he would eventually know your name. And we, didn't have, we had a pretty sizable church, and he knew people. When the church was really ballooning, they were in a small building, and they were packing him out, and they said the, the word was that Jake would fit him in with a shoehorn to get everybody in. He would, make, he would move people around so people would get in. Everybody loved Jake. Jake was one of these guys, one of our Sunday school classes, our adult classes, went up to uh, Warren Dunes and just spent the day there, and Jake went along. And, and my friend, who was kind of leading the group, he said, you know where all the kids were? They all wanted just to walk around with Jake. They were walking along the beach, and Jake was just ta- telling stories. But in all of his stories, there was always a lesson. There was always a moral. They just loved to hang out with Jake. But my word picture of Jake this man who was retired comfortably, this man who did everything. One day I drove into the church. We didn't have a huge yard like we have out here. It was a smaller yard, but it's out in the middle of a cornfield. And so we had dandelions plenty. And I drove in one day, and there was Jake on his knees with a bucket and a dandelion digger. And he was just digging dandelions, doing it for Christ, doing it for Jesus. And he, he, he made sure they, he dug them all out. And I thought, that's a guy who doesn't think of himself. That's a guy who, Jake is not the per, most important person in Jake's world. I had a professor. His name was Max, still is. Uh, written several books. Max told us one day, his best friend in high school was Jake's son. One day they sat at Jake's kitchen table and Jake shared the gospel with Max and Max prayed to receive Christ. You know, I never knew that until Max told me. Jake was never about, oh, look at this, I did this, oh, this guy's written books. Jake was never about Jake. He was always about Jesus. I believe probably all of us could say, you know what, I think I have a Jake in my life. I think I have somebody in my life that just modeled other centers. And my challenge to you and me is, let's pray that God allows us to be that in somebody else's life. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminders from the Apostle Paul. Father, thank you for word pictures Lord, as I've shared a word picture from my own life, maybe 
you are prompting someone else to see a word picture from their own life. And I pray, Lord, that you will use that. Lord, help us to model other-centeredness. Help us to strive for it. And remind us, Lord, that none of us will do it perfectly. We will stumble along the way. And Lord, may those of us who haven't stumbled at that moment be the ones to say, here, let me pick you up. Here, lean on my shoulder. Let's walk together. May Pleasant Hill Community Church be known as a church where we care about one another and care about others for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.